0: Not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it
1: did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. Hadley Vlahos is the author of the best-selling book, The In-Between, Unforgettable Encounters During Life's Final Moments. Hadley, who is, by the way, a TikTok phenomenon, is a hospice-registered nurse, mother, and wife. Her husband also works in the medical field as a doctor of physical therapy. Flajos started her career as a registered nurse at 22. As a hospice nurse, she now visits people at their home while also educating and sharing stories about hospice care on social media, where she has more than a million followers. By the way, I don't know why this is coming out so late, but I remember interviewing Hadley from my kids' school as they were graduating, and I hid in one of the rooms in the school and hoped nobody would find me. So If the sound is a little bit off, that's why, but I had to fit it all in that day. Welcome, Hadley. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you so much for having me. Your book has changed the way I think about life and death, as I'm sure it has for so many people. Why don't you tell listeners a little bit about about the book in general and why you decided to take your experiences as a hospice nurse and all these end-of-life moments that you got to experience. Why turn them into a book and when did you even decide to do that? And let's start there.
3: Yeah, thank you. So my book is 12 patient stories as my time as a hospice nurse that changed my life, changed how I viewed the afterlife, possibility of an afterlife, and just, you know, really made me into the very happy, excited to wake up everyday person that I am. And I also share my own story uh, going from a very young, single mom uh, with no plans and no direction to a very uh, confident nurse that feels, like I said, excited to wake up every morning. So that's my book. And about three years ago, I randomly went viral on TikTok just saying that I was a nurse and people started asking me what kind of nurse I was. And I was very hesitant to share that because hospice is, you know, so taboo. But I finally made a video and said, you know what? I've been a hospice nurse for many years now. And I think I have really cool stories. Does anyone want to hear them? And So many people said, yes, please. Like I had a loved one on hospice. I want to hear these, please. I feel like I don't have anyone to talk to. And so I started sharing my stories. And the first time that I was like, maybe I should write a book was this direct message I got from someone who said that her husband was on hospice in the hospital, very uh, quick thing. And she felt very alone while, you know, the doctors and nurses rushed in and out trying to do everything they could. And she sat there and she said, she watched all of my videos and felt prepared and like she could handle it. And she said, you know, you were there with me almost like I am as a hospice nurse, even though you don't know me. And I was like, wow, that's really powerful. And I, my thought was I can only do so much in a 60 second video. And for people like that, or people who've lost a loved one, I would like to go a little bit more in depth into these stories. So people really, really get it. And that's how it all started, which I think is so cool.
2: Oh my gosh, that image of somebody sitting in a hospital and just watching your TikToks and feeling better. That's amazing. I mean, of course the book too, but just the power of technology now.
3: Absolutely. And you don't think of it that way. You know, I was just sharing stories. I had no idea social media could have that kind of impact.
2: So one of the things that has really stayed with me and that was so powerful was talking about how for everybody who dies and how this is a standard thing that all the doctors told you that like, oh yeah, no big deal, was that your loved ones come back for you and that you see them before you die. And it is just... It is not a hallucination, and you are very careful to describe the differences. And you, you share your own work, like even analyzing the medical files of the one patient who, when you first Miss Ward or whatever her name was, I think Miss Ward. Anyway, that for all of us and for every single person, regardless of religion or belief, you are visited by loved ones right at the end. Tell me about that.
3: Yeah, I think that's one of the most amazing things, and I never learned that in nursing school. It's just one of those things that once you get into the profession, everyone just says like, yes, this is something that happens. And usually what'll happen is when I enter a home, the spouse or the caregiver will say, they've been talking to someone who's been dead a long time. Like, are they okay? And I'll explain, yes, that happens. And there's always so much peace. They're never scared. They're never, they have this sense of peace about them that I think is so beautiful. And I'll say like, are you talking to them and they'll, they'll talk to them just like there's another person in the room that I just can't see, you know, they'll talk to them and then they'll talk to me, which is why I call it the in-between. I feel like I'm with people when they're between that world and ours, which is so cool.
2: So what do you take away from that? I know you said even in the afterward of the book how, you know, you are just convinced that there is something else there. You don't know what, obviously, but you are completely convinced. Like, what does this mean to you and how has it changed your own view of, of death?
3: Yeah, to me, it means that this is just, it's not a forever goodbye for me. So it really has changed the way that I see death. Instead of seeing death as this final moment or this failure, it's just, it's like a see you later, which is one of my favorite ways to put it. I love just saying that this is not the end. I, I really do believe that there is something after this world. And it is because so many patients with so many different backgrounds all see the same thing. You know, if it was all one religion, I would say, okay, that's that religion. And that's what they believe, but it's atheists, it's Christians, it's any religion you can think of. So what do we think is next? <laughs> You know, I don't know. And that was something that I really had a hard time with. And, you know, I discuss in the book where I was like very black and white thinking like either this is the answer or there's nothing. And I have come to terms with the the fact that it's okay for me to not have all the answers and just say, I am convinced that there is something next. And one day I'll find out. Well, I'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) If only we could share the information.
2: You also talk about how at the end of life, there's something called an energy burst and how you saw this practice with the man that you visited, who you talked to about sports with for so Carl, long and who obviously, yes. Carl, thank you. Sorry. Tell me about that and how you found him like running around the <laughs> running, running around the house one time.
3: That was crazy. So he was in the bed, bed bound is what we call it for about a year, just no energy to get up or do anything. And I walked into his bedroom one day, like I always do. And the bed was empty. And at first I thought, oh my gosh, he's died. No one told me, oh my gosh, you know, the funeral home's already come and got him. And then a minute later, (laughs) I have a flashlight in my face. And I say in the book, I was like, it's not the bright light that everyone talks about. No, no one sees that. Um, it was a flashlight in his hand and he's, walking around and crouching down and looking under the bed playing hide and seek with one of his deceased loved ones. And his wife is right behind him. you know, trying, making sure to, if he fell that she could catch him. And I was like, what is going on to her? And she was like, I thought that you were going to tell me what was going on. And I'm like, this is insane. And people do, they get this surge of energy. That's just incredible. And One of the reasons why I really thought it was important to include that in multiple different stories is that a lot of times families will see this and think, my loved one is doing better. They're gonna recover, they're gonna do well, and they're gonna come off hospice. And they need to know that this is something that can happen right before people die to savor that moment and to really say, okay, this might be what this is. Let me really stop everything else I'm doing and take this moment and really enjoy it.
2: That story in particular Like brought tears to my eyes when he said he was playing a hide and seek as lost child. Oh my gosh. The the emotional moments that you witness and the gift of being part of these just tender, poignant, amazing moments is so special. And the fact that you get to share them with the rest of us. I know all of us get these inside glimpses. It's just it's like otherworldly. It's amazing. So so amazing.
3: I agree. I love it. I love my job so much.
2: You also share in the book about your experience having a baby at 19 and having a total sort of life redirection moment and how that has affected your life and how you've since gone on to have two more kids and fall in love and all sorts of wonderful things. Take me back more to that time in your life and what it was like having a baby then and and even your pregnancy when you were at home again and all that. Just take me back there.
3: Yeah, that was very, very, very difficult. That was the most difficult time period of my life, you know, getting pregnant at 19. And then as I discussed in the book, deciding to keep my son. And, you know, I, my world got very small. A lot of people did not want to, to be around that or be associated with that. And, you know, all these people that were always so supportive of me, all of a sudden just disappeared. And, It was really, really difficult when I needed support the most. And that was so difficult for me. I'm very glad that I made the decision to go into nursing school with the goal that it would, in a couple of years, provide a very stable income for myself and my son. And I I feel like it was my calling. I feel like this was where I'm meant to be. And I feel like I needed that redirection. And that was such a difficult time in my life. But now I think that it was all worth it.
1: So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.
0: Hey, grown-ups. The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcasts.
3: how old are all the kids now? So Brody, who I had when I was young, he's 10. And then we have a three-year-old and seven-month-old.
2: Oh my gosh. And you have a book coming out. How are you doing and your job? Tell me how you're balancing life right now. Like what was Um, the morning like for you?
3: (laughs) It's chaotic. Thankfully, I have a very supportive partner. And I always say that now, because you know, when I was a single mom, I didn't. And that was a lot more difficult, right? You know, my husband right now, he picks up, I mean, he probably does 80% of things right now while things are getting so crazy. And I think that that makes a big difference. And I think it's important to acknowledge that whenever people are saying, How do you do it? You know, I have a supportive partner, which helps. And yeah, it can be a lot. I call my book my fourth baby. (laughs) But as you know, publishing can be kind of slow. So it's not like I wrote this in like a month. You know, it's been almost, Three years total. And I work about two to three days a week right now.
2: Wow. Has there been anything about the publishing journey and having the book actually come out and all that that has been unexpected for you or particularly fun or particularly not fun?
3: (laughs) Yeah, all of it's been very crazy. I just, you know, it's, I guess the craziest part for me is that you check your email and you just like never know what's going to be in there. And it's so strange and you won't hear from people for like, two to three days, and then one day they're like, oh, you're this pick for this list, and you're this and that, and congratulations, and here's your pre-orders, and then it's like, oh, let's get some champagne, you know, and then the other day, it's just nothing. It's just, it's kind (laughs) of (laughs) strange.
2: That's amazing, I love it. Tell me where you want to take your whole thing. You have this book coming out, your whole career, your life, you're in this really, you know, unique spot with your connections to the materials of life and death and loss and all of that. And now in publishing and TikTok and all of that. So when you were laying in bed at night, like where do you fantasize about this all going or have you just reached where it's going?
3: Yeah, no, I want to open a nonprofit. I'm actually already taking steps to open a nonprofit hospice house. I really see a big gap in care with hospice houses, which can provide care for like up to five days for people who need a break without having to like permanently move to a nursing home. So just if the caregivers need a break right now, at least in my area near New Orleans, we don't have one that allows caregivers to stay. And unfortunately, when most people need the most help is near the end of life, you know, after they've been caring for them for a while and symptoms are getting a little bit harder to control. And many caregivers will not risk not being there when their loved one dies. So they will just completely be burned out. They will just refuse the hospice house care. So I'm trying to open up a hospice house where not only are the caregivers welcome, but they're taken care of as well. They're given an actual break, food, a bed to sleep in, you know, a a break. And I hope that I can open one here and then have them all across the U.S.
2: That's amazing. I love that. How are you, are you taking donations for that? How are you raising the money and, and making that happen?
3: So right now I've applied for the 5013C through the government to become a nonprofit because it's a medical facility. It is taking a little bit longer, which I understand. And then I can start raising money.
2: Wow, it's really amazing. Have you read, by the way, Catherine Newman's book about that takes place in a hospice setting? It's a no. memoir. We all want impossible things. You have to read it. It's yeah, so funny. You're it
3: we we all want impossible things.
2: Yeah. Catherine, I've never Newman. even heard of it. I'm going to read oh, it. My, good. I'm going to put, I'll put you two in touch. Through yeah. your public, but it all takes place at a hospice house. When really? we're dying.
3: Oh, I'm excited to read
2: it. Yeah. It's, it's really good. It's really good. Anyway, I recommend this. What was the effect of COVID on you as a nurse in this particular area? And how did you navigate that? And how do you see things now?
3: Yeah. It's much better now. <laughs> the <laughs> Most difficult thing starting out was that a lot of healthcare workers, especially our CNAs left. So we were very short staffed. And then, and, you know, I, we had a co cowork- so we're, we're really small. You know, I only have like three co-workers that are nurses. We had one that was pregnant, totally understood. She went on leave. So now we have one less nurse, which is hard. And then at the same time, the hospital is constantly calling us and saying, Hey, this person's ready to go home on hospice. And you knew that if you didn't work overtime and take these patients, then they could potentially die without their family because the hospital wasn't allowing visitors. And that was the difference between someone dying without family or not. And I burned out during COVID. It was very difficult to constantly feel like you can either spend, go to a soccer game or you can, this person's going to die alone. Like... (laughs) you know? And it's, it seems like an obvious choice, but whenever that's happening seven days a week, that becomes extremely difficult. So, and for a while I thought that there was no end in sight, but thankfully it is much, 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 much better now.
2: Oh my gosh. All the stuff you've been through. You're like an angel.
3: <laughs> oh, thank you.
2: Speaking of nurses, you write about in the book that there is this, perhaps not even unspoken, but unbeknownst to the lay people rivalry, if you will, or lack of care or competition. I don't even know uh, from the older nurses to the younger nurses. It was Mm -hmm. like a hazing situation.
3: Yeah. They say nurses eat their young and that's a pretty common phrase. And I don't really know why it happens, but I was warned of it in nursing school. I saw it in nursing school where the older nurses just, they, yeah, it was like, like a hazing, like you said, I do think it's getting better because the ones that were hazed are not doing it. And, you know, now that I, I've i been a nurse for eight years now, so, you know, all of us who were put through that are not doing it. So I do think it is getting better. But yeah, that that was very difficult. You know, they'll roll your eyes if you have to be with them for the day or they'll say, oh, I hate it when they put, pe- you know, these new nurses with me. They slow me down. And it it was rough. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
2: Because you think that's so counterintuitive because nurses seem like caring people by trade. But anyway.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I see it sometimes. There's the nursing shortage, and I'll see my friends on TikTok sometimes, and they'll be like, oh, nursing's the worst. Nursing's horrible. And then they're like, there, there's such a bad nursing shortage. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you can yeah, probably talk to- about the positives. You're not necessarily encouraging anyone to come join to nursing. Thanks, Device. <laughs> Publicity
2: rehabilitation here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, do you find any time to read yourself? And if so, what do you like to read?
3: Yeah, I, between patients, I see rural patients right now, which I just love. So, they're over an hour away from my house. So, I can listen to audiobooks all the time. Right now, I'm listening to Yellow Face. I love it so far. It is so good. you um, have to read that. You'll love it. You will love it. It's really, really good. And then occasionally I'll listen to nonfiction. just kind of what I'm in the mood for.
2: Okay. That's my plan. I have that podcast coming up, but I, I maybe I need to skip the line and start Yellow Face early.
3: <laughs> oh, you will. It's really good. Okay. And I'm it's an them. unlikable narrator, but like, usually I don't like those, but this one is really good.
2: Okay. Interesting. What advice do you have for aspiring authors?
3: Don't give up. I always tell people I queried so many literary agents and I was rejected so many times. So many people said, I just don't think people want to talk about death and dying. You know, I started at the very beginning of COVID querying, and it just, people were like, no, this is, we've had too much of this. We don't want to talk about this. No, thank you. And then finally my agent Noah, you know, did accept it. And then it went to auction at the publishers. So (laughs) just because someone's telling you no does not mean, does not affect the outcome of how well your book will do. That's just one person's opinion. And I say that for reviews too. It's just one person's opinion.
2: Wow. Well, you were very inspiring and a role model in terms of so many things of consideration and care and sensitivity, empathy. You know, just you're obviously just from reading your book and your study disposition here, you're just so giving. And I'm so happy that the universe is giving back to you right now.
3: Thank you so much.
2: Okay. Well, best of luck. And I will be following along and cheering for you.
3: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. Thanks so much. Have a great day.
2: Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.